Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Good morning, church. Would you like to stand with me if you're here in the building? I tell you what, if you're at home, why don't you stand as well? Uh, we kind of, you know, shake out the cobwebs and warm ourselves up this morning. Welcome uh, to Gateway Church, both here in the building and online. Welcome to you too. And um, I'm just going to take a moment or two as we begin our time together. Um, those of you who are receiving our messages via our church number, our prayer line, you, you'll know a lot of these things already, uh, but I wanted to make sure that we have uh, all of the info out to everybody. Um, now, I know uh, that tomorrow um, is probably known by different people in different ways, uh, but what we do understand is that it is a day where there's going to be an easing of some of the restrictions, many of the restrictions. Um, that we've been living under. And for some of you, um, you're probably wondering, well, what does that mean for church then? Is anybody wondering? Wonder, yeah, okay, just a few of us, yeah. We're wondering, what does that mean for church? Whilst we are incredibly thankful um, that uh, things, particularly in terms of vaccination, are progressing in such a way as some restrictions are able to be lifted, we want to be a church that really honors everybody and does, as, to the best of our ability, what is right for everybody. Now, the number one headline, I think, for us all is, we will sing. Um, so, <laughs> so from... From next Sunday, um, there is total freedom over congregational singing, and I know some of you have been kind of, you know, singing just down the down low already. Um, I hope it, this is like being live streamed. I'm just kind of saying that we've been there. You're not supposed to sing yet. You're supposed to just hum quietly, you know, within your mask. We will be able to sing. What we're, also, what we're also being told, what we know, is that when you are in a large group of people, or if there is any kind of congestion of people, that the, the, um, the recommendation is that you continue to wear a mask. So if you are able to do so, then we're going to abide by that recommendation. Some of the things that we are able to relax is things like our one-way system, you'll be able to not worry about whether you're going the right way or the wrong way around the building. Um, we are also able to relax things like the rule of six or the, the rule of two households. So you can sit with whoever you want to. Now, for those of you who would prefer to not sit with whoever you want to, uh, not because you're just nasty people, but because you maybe just want to take your time, we will continue both with our sticker system 
uh, which allows you to kind of use a little traffic light sticker to say where you're at and what you would like to do. So those are always going to be available as you enter the building. We're also going to provide those who would like to just with a little way of indicating that you would rather a little bit of space be left near you on your row. So if, so if you want to retain a level of space, you will be able to do that going forward. If you don't want to retain a level of space, you can just go around and hug people who are like you. And, uh, and so there's, there's freedom whilst honoring people who actually want to maintain a level of uh, protection, as it were. So those are some of the main changes. As we move forward, at least through the next month, we are asking that you still register for our gatherings. Um, that would be hugely helpful as we go forward. We're anticipating perhaps some more people will want to come and join us in the building. So it'd be hugely helpful if you can continue to register for our gatherings. Obviously, you'll know we started to offer again many of our other in-person things, particularly our youth and our, our children's work, and those things will continue and, and have different kinds of fun through the summer. If you have any questions or queries about any of these things, can I ask, don't just talk amongst yourselves, although you're welcome to do that, please ask the question. Would you do that? Ask somebody who is in the leadership of the church, one of the elders or the pastors. Um, maybe ask some, your transformed community leaders, and if they don't know, then they'll be able to get the answers for you. Just send a message through to the church prayer line. Whichever way, we'd love to help you to be able to navigate this next little while really, really well. Now, over the summer, we're also wanting to take advantage of the lovely weather. Anyone enjoying the weather? I'm sure you are at the moment. Long may it continue, please, God. And there are all sorts of outdoor things that are going to be happening. Transform communities, I know, are planning and organizing all sorts of fun through the summer. There are families' picnics for those of you with younger children. Those are happening through the summer. And particularly, I wanted to highlight to you one thing that's coming up next, which is on the 8th of August. Rather than having our, our normal scattered Sunday, we're going to have something of a church festival. And, uh, and we're going we're to be outside because the weather will be glorious in Jesus' name. And, um, and we've, we've very kindly been offered a field. Um, and so we're going to set up some tents in a field. The field is to be found. We'll give you more details as we get closer, but it's at the bottom of Lever Causeway. And it's recently been mown. Um, and so that there is the field, and we're going to have our church gathering there. There's going to be worship. We're going to spend a bit of time around the Word, but we're going to do a few other things that we wouldn't normally do in the church. One is we're saying bring a picnic. Um, bring your food so that when we conclude our time together, you can eat. And if you can't wait that long, then you can just eat through our time together. And, um, but we're also going to have loads of other fun things. There's going to be a paddling pool for the littleies. There's going to be face painting. There's going to be a bouncy castle. There's going to be a slip and slide for the not-so-littleies, indeed the young at heart. Um, that's not going to be off the stage or anything like that. It's just gonna, we're going to assume the weather's going to be fantastic. We're also going to have donkey rides. Uh, you don't normally get that in church, do you? Um, some of you think, it's probably not for all of you. Just want to say that. It's probably for the children. Think of the donkeys. Um, but we're going to have loads and loads of fun. We're going to have a wonderful time together. 8th of August, make sure that is in your diaries. I don't see any of you getting your diaries out. Get your diaries out. Get your phones out. Put it in. Da, 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 da. Those of you at home, I know you're doing it. Um, is that 8th of August. Everybody got that? 
and invite your family, invite your friends. If there are people who aren't willing to kind of gather indoors just yet, then this is also for them. It's going to be an absolute wonderful time. All right, church, shall we start our time together in prayer? And come on, let's, let's come together. Come before your Lord, your Savior, your God, your King. Jesus Christ, we honor you and we thank you for your faithfulness, for your unchanging goodness and grace. We thank you, dear God, that you are sovereign. You are Lord of all, Lord in power, and you are our loving Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, we are a group of people who are traveling through this world and experiencing things differently, even as we experience them together. For some of us, we, we're eager for changes, and others of us are, are quite reticent. For some of us, the changes we've endured have been really heartbreaking. For others, we find ourselves in a wonderful place. Lord Jesus, we are, well, we're all over the place. But God, you are constant. Lord Jesus Christ, we would ask that in this time we have to fix our eyes upon you, to remind ourselves that you are the center of your church, you are the head, to remind ourselves that you are the center of every Christian life, every life of the true disciple. God, would you order our lives upon yourself? Would you order our church, our family upon yourself. God, would you fill us with your Spirit. Cause us, Lord Jesus, to grow in your likeness. Lord God, we want to be people who are faithful and good. We want to be people who are loving and bring the work of transformation into our world. We want to be people who are full of rejoicing. We want to be people who can bind up the brokenhearted. Help us in these things, we pray. In your name, amen. Let's make a declaration together, church. Could we have those lyrics, you're the name above all names? Could we have that on the screen? You're the name above all names. We're going to make this declaration together. Okay. Church, let's say this together. I know perhaps we're not singing, but we can say these truths. And it's good for our hearts, good for one another. It's a good declaration of truth into a world in need. So come on, let's say this together. You're the name above all names, worthy of all praise. My heart will sing, how great is our God, Jesus. Jesus, we know these things to be true. We find these truths, Lord God, to be throughout the story of your redeeming work in our world. They're there on every page of the Bible. But Lord Jesus Christ, we also confess before you, God, we are people who are oftentimes led by uh, the way that we, we feel about things. Sometimes we find ourselves to be overwhelmed by our circumstances. The truth is, sometimes, God, we're just not paying attention. But Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning for the opportunity for your spirit to fix our eyes upon Jesus. He is both the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord Jesus Christ, we declare that you have all things in your hands. 
You are always in control. You are the name above all names. And because of these truths, Lord God, we make this declaration that our hearts will sing. Our hearts will sing of your greatness, Lord Jesus. In all things, at all times, Lord God, we will be formed by your word. We will be formed by the leadership of your spirit. And Lord Jesus Christ, we will submit ourselves to this. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You're welcome to grab a seat if you'd like to do so, church, here and at home. And uh, in a moment or two, we're going to come into the scriptures. I just wanted to return just for a moment to our thoughts as we began our gathering this morning, um, talking about many of the forthcoming changes um, following um, announcements that will be, I'm sure, iterated tomorrow. Um, And our our primary um, preference as a church is to prefer one another. You know, we've just perhaps, if you've been following the Moravian Daily Readings, um, towards the conclusion of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hey, look, that is a fantastic foundation for interpersonal relationships. If that's your foundation for how it is you're going to treat one another within the church of Jesus Christ through your life, I tell you, you're not going to go too far wrong. And so as we kind of progress from tomorrow onwards, you know, these are our watchwords, aren't they? Um, Some of our other watchwords are from Hebrews 10. When we do prize the gathering together, we're thankful for our live stream. We're so thankful for our in-person gatherings. We're thankful uh, more and more so for our transformed communities. And we're longing to moreover and moreover invest in these things. So um, I would urge you um, to, to consider these things well. Um, practically speaking, make sure you're receiving communications from the church. Um, could we have on screen, the, the, I think there's a slide about the prayer line. It's got the number on there, I think. I'm sure you can find it. If you're not receiving our text or WhatsApp messages, you need to be. Um, it's really hard um, to fully engage with church life if you're not receiving them. Um, make a note of this number, 07867 When you get that number... Um, you need to save it as a contact on your phone. Otherwise, the nature of WhatsApp, the way we use it, you might not get the messages. So if you're not receiving the messages, text your number and your name to that number. Make sure you save that number on your phone, and then you'll get all of the messaging. We also send out emails. We'd love to have your up-to-date details. If you want to fill them in, um, you'll see on the backs of some of the chairs. We're going to get it on all of the chairs soon. Um, you can just scan a little QR code, fill in a connection card, and uh, we'll make sure that you're receiving all of the information that you need. But as much as we're wanting to inform you, I want to urge you, remember one another. You know, you look around the building, and here we are in person, a fraction of our entire church family. Um, Many are at home on the live stream. I know perhaps we're entering into holiday seasons as well, such as that is this year. Um, And perhaps some folks in our church have been a victim of, what what do they call it, the pandemic? Have you heard about this? Um, And and lots of people isolating for for various reasons. Look, case numbers are very high. On the Wirral, they're higher than anywhere else in the Liverpool City region. We're not flippant about these things. But many of our, our church, they're not here for one reason or another. Are you thinking about one another? Are you? 
You know, I, I'm, I'm so glad this morning I can stand before you. I can tell you that, that Selma, who we're praying for, she had a wonderful procedure. It all went very well. We're thankful to God for that. We're asking for her to be healed, aren't we? We remember others like Richie and Ted who have been through such um, things at the moment. And we're asking for that God's comfort and strength would be upon them. They would know his healing. There are many, many, many more beside in our church family who have different needs and different difficulties in this season. Are you thinking of one another? The best way you can do that, be part of a transformed community. Live life with one another. But then don't just leave it to an occasional meeting or an occasional connection. Um, who do you message through the week to tell them that you're thinking of them? Who do you call to say, oh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of you. Wouldn't it be great to have a chat? Who are you going for a walk with in the park or you know, a coffee or whatever you want to do? Um, how are you connecting with one another? Uh, you know that your pastor is quite possibly the most introverted person in the entire church. I know you don't always believe me, but it's true. God grants me the ability to kind of do things that aren't natural for an introvert. But if it were just up to me, I'd probably be a hermit. But I find no justification for that in the Bible. Um, what I find is an invitation into the family of God. Are you up for loving one another? Anybody want to love one another and so fulfill the law of Christ? Do you want to do that? Do you want to bear one another's burdens? Do you want to be with one another, care for one another? Come on, for the next couple of moments, I'm going to open up the scriptures. Why don't you just take out your phone and send someone a message right now and say, I love you, thinking of you this morning. Uh, if, it, if it's weird to say I love you, you don't have to do that bit. Um, but just, go on, just, no, you think I'm being silly. I mean it. Just send somebody a message, somebody in the church, and say, I'm thinking of you this morning, and I hope that you're doing well. God bless you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. And, um, and then while you're doing that, I'm opening up the scriptures. We're going to be concluding our time to, in, in the book of Nehemiah today. Um, next week, um, Pastor Nick uh, will be sharing the word of God, and, uh, and that's going to be wonderful. Um, and then following that, we've got a few different things through the summertime. Um, one is there's an invitation. You know, we've been enjoying the Alpha course just occurs to me, did I confirm that with you, Nick? No. Okay. Is it all right? Thank you. Um, that was really bad. I'm terribly sorry. I just announced the preacher without asking him. Um, okay. Could have been any of you. Uh, that was, anyhow. Um, but after that, um, we've got a couple of short series as we go through the summer. Um, toward the end of the summer, we're going to be going to the movies. Um, I know most of us have not been to the movies in quite some time. Maybe you wanted to do that over, over the summertime. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a bit like we did um, a couple of years ago. We're going to be opening up some great movies and finding um, how we can actually tell the story of the gospel um, through those films. So if there are people who don't understand how Jesus and church has anything to do with them, that would be a great time to bring them along. Um, just before that, we're going to have a couple of sermons, what we're titling Tough Questions. We've really just enjoyed the Alpha course. It's been absolutely fantastic, journeying through questions of life and faith and meaning and seeing so many people come further on their journey with God. It's been such a joy. Um, we're conscious that there might be some questions people have that haven't been answered. And so what we're saying is, have you got any tough questions about the Bible about this pandemic year and a bit that we've been going through, about other aspects of life, would you please message them to the church prayer line and say, this is my tough question 
And we're going to spend a couple of Sundays just digging into some really tough questions together. That's our desire. But today, we're concluding in the book of Nehemiah. Look, we've been saying this is a book that teaches us how we can build back better. How we cannot simply say, I I just want to go back to the way things always were. Or just says, well, you know, whatever. We've been through what we've been through. I'm not really expecting of any change for the future. But actually, it's God's desire through seasons of change, indeed through seasons of brokenness, to enable his people to build back better. And what we've seen through the example of the person, Nehemiah, who's a real guy, a leader amongst the people of God, we've seen that it begins with prayer. And actually, prayer is informed by brokenheartedness. The Bible teaches that it is godly sorrow that produces repentance, which leads to salvation without regret. If you want to know the salvation of Jesus Christ in your life, you want to live without regret for the past, knowing that it's washed clean. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. If you want to live into a future without regret, the Bible teaches that repentance is required, a change of heart, mind, and direction of life, that no longer will you be Lord of your life, but Jesus will. The only way to enter into repentance is by the gift of God, of sorrow, of a longing for things to be made new. You know, Nehemiah, he was given the gift of godly sorrow that changed his life. It changed his life. And he got into prayer, longing in God that things might be different for him, for his people, for the city of Jerusalem and the the people of Judah that God's purposes might come again into his world. And so we found there in that place of, 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 of change and of, and of prayer, then there comes a brokenness. Not only were the walls of Jerusalem in rubble, but actually Nehemiah's heart became, as it were, broken into pieces. But it was from those pieces that God was able to build something good. We asked ourselves, well, it's all well and good to build perhaps the walls of a city. It's all well and good to, to build the structure of a life. You know, perhaps to have relationships, to have a, a employment or, a, you know, education. It's all well and good to have different aspects of our living. But what's really inside the walls? Who really are we? When we think about the church, it's great to have a, a place to meet, things that we do, uh, structures and systems. But, but what is the organism within the organization? Who are we? And we've asked God to try us and test us. And to make us according to his will. As we've journeyed through the book of Nehemiah, we've understood that it's great to talk about these things. But there comes a point when actually when we want to realize the things of God's best for our lives. God's best for our church. God's best through us in his world. You've got to take a risk. You've got to take a risk. Faith is risk. It's about saying that in order for things to be different, I've got to be different. In order for me to see more of God at work in the world, I've got to give God more of me so that he can be at work in me. It's a risk, but it's a great risk because when we place our faith in God's hands, does anybody know what happens? I know many of you, most of you, perhaps all of you here this morning, you've done it at least once. God granted you faith. You placed that faith in his hands, and he saved you. It was a really good thing. And so actually, you can be quite confident to do it again, and again, and again. And see how it is that God can bring about those cycles of risk and reward and rest, of battle and of breakthrough and of blessing. 
And we saw how it was that Nehemiah took risk after risk after risk. Although in Nehemiah 2 and verse 2, he says, I was very much afraid. Anybody ever afraid? Sorry, you can be honest in church. Anybody else? Anybody ever afraid? All the time we can be afraid. Nothing wrong with fear. Problem comes when fear becomes the debilitating marker of our lives when fear rocks us back on our heels. Look, when Nehemiah got into prayer, he sat down with a slump because it was hard. There's nothing wrong with being in that place of finding yourself, you know, you read the Bible, you'll find how many people find themselves falling over <laughs> when, they're, when they're kind of coming to God in those initial moments. You know, people fall down it's all the way through the Bible. You find it right at the end there in Revelation. Revelation is a book of incredible victory. But there at the beginning, John, who knew Jesus when he walked the earth, met Jesus in all of his uh, transfigured glory. And it's kind of new and, and profound, his transcendence, his wonder. And he fell down on his face. It was as though he was dead. You know, people fall over. There's nothing wrong with that. But then when God reaches out a hand to you, you're going to get up. You know, when you're a Peter and you've kind of walked a bit on the water and it's been absolutely wonderful, but things start to go wrong and you find yourself sinking and God reaches out a hand to you, are you going to say to God, ah, no worry, God, it's all done and dusted. I'm just going to sink. Well, you know, rationally that makes no sense, but we do it all the time. Or are you actually going to put your hand in God, put your faith into God's hands and say, please, God, would you do it again? Please, God, would you do it again? please, God, would you do it again? You know, this is, this is what it takes to, to kind of journey, to, to build back better with God. But risk, it's great. Putting your faith in the hands of God is great. But then when you're holding hands with God, are you going to walk with Him? Are you going to walk with Him? Are you going to put one foot in front of the other and, and turn that risk into the journey that actually realizes the promise? Now, I'm just, I'm just really briefly skimming through everything that we've covered over the past five weeks or whenever. This is all of the things that we've learned from the person of Nehemiah. Look, I've invited you to read the book. I hope you have read the book. By now, you could probably have read the book four or five or six times. You've had enough time. Look, if you haven't got any summer reading, Nehemiah, he's your guy. Go and read these things. Consider how these things are applicable to your life. We've got to move. We've got to be changed. What we're going to find this morning as we come to our conclusion is that Nehemiah, in taking that risk and walking with God, he actually finds himself not so much in, in kind of the, the drudgery of a journey that is, that is lifeless or, or sad or, or just of duty without um, delight. In fact, he finds himself going on an adventure with God. He's going on an adventure with God. He's called by God to this place of adventure. And his adventure with God, yes, it is both of joy and of pain. Although Nehemiah doesn't understand the plan of his adventure entirely, God does. It is known to God, and so they journey together hand in hand, yoked together. They go together. God has called him, equipped him. He has sent him. He is with him. And that's where we're going today. 
There's a moment in the book of Nehemiah. It's in Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 5 to 7. And Nehemiah is in kind of a reflective mood. What we understand of the book of Nehemiah is that that much of it, perhaps most of it, is formed from a a memoir of Nehemiah. It's kind of in the first person. It's his own personal reflection on the story. And here, he recounts in Nehemiah 7 verse 5, Then God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first You know, those pioneers, those faith-filled people, the Peters who walked on the water first before it got fashionable. You know, those first-goers. And I found written in it, Nehemiah says, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with, here we go, Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ra'amiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvi, Nehum, and Bana. Now, if you think that's a funny list of names, you should read the rest of the chapter. Um, now, why do they do these kinds of genealogies? Well, actually, genealogy is worship. Did you know that? Genealogy is praise. To list the faithfulness of God through the generations is praise. So if you're going to read Nehemiah, and I think we're all agreed that we're going to do that, um, when you read these lists, don't just go too quick. Just read them and recognize that you're praising God for his faithfulness in the generations. When you read the name Zerubbabel, uh, I think we can all praise God for the name Zerubbabel. Um, Am I right? It's just the most fantastic name. I think I mentioned already I wanted to call the kids Zerubbabel as a middle name at least, but that was vetoed. Um, It's just fantastic. But did you know that when you read the name Zerubbabel, what you are reading is God promised he would bring salvation through the line of King David. And the line of King David was almost snuffed out. But when Zerubbabel comes back from exile into the land, that's the beginning again of the line of David, all the way through to, guess who? Jesus. But when you say the name Zerubbabel, what you're saying is God has a promise. He's faithful to his promise, and he will fulfill his promise. Can anybody say Zerubbabel with me this morning? Yeah, come on. Um, these are it's exciting things to reflect upon. These things are so good. You know, maybe in that list of names, you notice the name Mordecai. Did anybody notice the name there? Yeah, it's actually Mordecai, the big guy. And it's a promise there. That, you know, it's, it's God's faithfulness. Read the story of Esther. Look, don't just stop at Nehemiah. Read Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. It'll do you really good. And, and there it is, this guy who God preserved through a time of crisis when it seemed like not just the one, but all of them would be snuffed out. And how he is coming back into the land. It is praise. Genealogy is praise. But it's also a forming thing for what God is going to do. Now, Nehemiah, he's listing these names. and He came later than, than some of the names listed here. He came about 13 years after Ezra, for instance, who was instrumental with Zerubbabel in building the temple. Um, and though much had been done, there was still loads of work to do. You know, that's what everything we've seen in the book of Nehemiah so far. Look, the walls needed rebuilding, the gates needed resetting, the city of Jerusalem needed repopulating, there was almost no one there. 
It needed defending. The work of the temple needed finance and manpower. The worship life of the people needed reinvigorating. There were widespread injustices to be righted. Worship needed to be restored. There was lots to be done. It can feel a bit like that at the moment, can't it? So many things. But in spite of all that was still to be done, Nehemiah was very aware of what had been done and who had done it. He praised God for it. He was formed by it. And that enabled him to go into the future in the formation of God, praising God for what was still to be done. Now let's consider those beginnings of the adventure for a moment. If you want to, you can come with me to Zechariah chapter 4. It's all the good names today. Um, Zechariah chapter 4. And as well as people like Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah and Mordecai and Zerubbabel, you've got people like Zechariah and Haggai who were prophesying into the work that was to be done and being done and needed to be completed. And Zechariah is, is one of these guys. And in Zechariah chapter 4, we get this incredible visionary prophetic language. Now, it might seem a little bit strange to you, and we're certainly not going to unpack it in its entirety today, but it'll help to speak into the adventure we want to go on with God. And in Zechariah 4, it begins like this, and the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. Now, I don't know what that meant for Zachariah, but when I am awakened out of my sleep, it does not look pretty. Um, the kids do it at ever-increasing times. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but we have found ourselves in need of more blackout curtains. I think we need about three or four per window. Um, I see some nodding heads. Um, I think so far, Judah's record is five o'clock. Um, that's when he's been getting up recently. And when he wakens me from my sleep, I am, I am not like an ordinary man awakened from sleep. The groanings, they are, you know, the, the kind of, you know, when the Holy Spirit is said to kind of pray for us with groanings too deep to understand, um, I, feel a, I feel a kinship with the Spirit. Um, there are groanings that are unintelligible um, when I am wakened from my sleep. I don't know what it meant, maybe something different for Zachariah, but he comes up out of his sleep into this kind of, and it is a dream world, but it's a visionary dream world. It's actually formed and informed by God. And the angel says to him, what do you see? And Zechariah says, I see. This is not just kind of a groggy moment. There's stuff to be seen. I see, and behold, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. That, it's hard to perhaps get a sense of it, but you imagine the menorah, the, 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 the um, ornamental um, lampstand that's common within uh, Jewish worship. That's what we're imagining here, but we're imagining one that's bigger than any other one that's recorded in the Scriptures. It's got more points of you know, potential fire on it. Um, the lips are spouts, as it were. And there's two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Some of you might be thinking, oh, hang on, that's a little bit revelation. And yes, it is, but we're not going there today. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? <laughs> You'd feel like a bit of a plonker, wouldn't you? Um, no. Um, and he said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You're probably familiar with those words. Those are really encouraging words because does anybody ever feel like they come to the end of their might or their power? 
Has anybody felt like that so far today already? Probably. Uh, Has anybody feel like that most days? Yes. Most hours? Probably. Most minutes? Quite possibly. You know, our our might or our power. Look, I'm not in any way diminishing how wonderful you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm looking at you. You're pretty fantastic. Um, But we very quickly come to the conclusion of ourselves if we're not massively infused by the Spirit of God. He's the one who does the work, and he does it through us. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then the the word goes on to say, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Oh, it's quite exciting, isn't it? You know, can you imagine Zerubbabel? There he is in this kind of slightly confusing dream world, and he doesn't know what's being shown to him. But then God says to him, the word of God comes to him through the angel saying, God's going to do it by his spirit through you. And the mountains shall be like the plains. And you will be able to complete the work. Um, The the top stone, that's the capstone, the cornerstone. That's the the fulfillment, the culmination of building. And there will be shouts of praise. And then the word of the Lord continues saying, verse 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's this really profound and powerful statement that's being spoken over Zerubbabel. In the context of the time, this was because they were struggling. They were struggling to get the work done. They were struggling to build back better. They knew what they wanted to do. They'd started out with good intentions. They'd achieved quite a lot, but they weren't getting it done. Some of them weren't getting it done because of tiredness or weakness and weariness. Some of them weren't getting it done because of disaffection or apathy or disappointment. Some of them weren't getting it done because their eyes were changed from the work they were supposed to be doing onto work that they weren't supposed to be doing. But here in this passage, we have this this, this lampstand, these seven lights. It's the watchfulness of God, the eye of God upon his people. Is it good news to anybody to know that God is watching you? Did you know that? God's eye is upon you. You know the eye of the Lord, it roams to and fro throughout the land, seeking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. Did you know that? Come on, give your heart to God. He's watching. He's looking for you. He wants to show you his favor. There's the watchfulness of God. But then there's also the strengthening work of God that comes here to Zechariah. Um, You know, what seemed like an insurmountable mountain of challenge is going to become an easy plane before him. That's good, isn't it? Look, there are many, maybe many here this morning watching on our live stream. Look, as the Bible describes it here, what has happened within our lives and in our circumstances, and not just perhaps within this pandemic season, but maybe we found ourselves going round and round in this cycle, we despise the day of small things. You know, many, perhaps most Christians, don't give proper regard for the basic, for the foundational work of the day to day. Look, if you don't build the foundations, it doesn't matter what you try and build on top of it, you're never going to get to that capstone. Do you despise the day of small things, or are you thoroughly invested in them? Are the foundations, 
of regular gathering with the saints. Are they in place? Of regular devotion to the Sabbath day of rest and its unique place of worship. The foundations of confession and of repentance. Indeed, of killing sin by submission to the lordship of God and the welcome of his spirit. The foundations of reading the word of God, meditating upon it, hiding it inside your heart. Of prayer, of listening to God, of intercession for the saints. The regular foundational work of serving one another, of giving, of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, of sharing the good news of new life in Christ Jesus. Do you despise the day of small things? Look, can I be really blunt? If we're not showing these things regard by making them the regular practice of our life, we are despising the day of small things. I I don't see any other way around it. Either we're valuing them by means of our investment, or we're despising them by means of our disregarding. That's blunt. But that's where it's at. You know, there's as Zerubbabel, and he's, he's building something that's just about getting out of the ground, and it doesn't look like much. And the people around him, and maybe it's infecting his own heart, are saying it doesn't look like much, it'll never be very much. That's what it looks like to despise small days. And do you know what? Those kinds of things, they're pretty self-fulfilling prophecies, aren't they? You know, we, we tell ourselves, I, I don't need to gather with the saints. Soon, uh, the, the gathering of the saints will have no meaning to you. You say to yourself, I don't need the place of prayer. Soon you're going to find that all the the promise and product of prayer will not be open to you. You say, "I, I don't need the word of God. Well, don't be surprised if you find yourself entirely lacking in wisdom or the ability to walk in the way of faith. This is what it is to despise the day of small things and then to try and build without those small things. You know, it can't be done. But there's some good news for you. Some good news is right there in the text talks about those who despise the day of small things. But you know what? Those self-same people, the Scripture tells us, are still invited to rejoice. To rejoice. To rejoin. And to rejoy themselves. As faithful people are committed to the things of God and keep it on going and keep it on going and keep it on going. And and look, if you found yourself faithless and you think maybe you're done and dusted, no, you are invited by God to rejoin and rejoice yourself in seeing those small things be done and done and done. What did the Scripture say to us? Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. I find that so strange. You know, my natural inclination, because I'm a bit mean, it would be to say, oh, you despise the day of small things. Well, then you don't get to be a part of the party when it gets all done. <laughs> That's me. Is that anyone else? No, you're all a lot nicer than me. I'm just mean, I think. But God is not mean. It's good news, isn't it? And he's inviting you today to rejoin and rejoice, to rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now, the plumb line has got an awful lot of meaning, but its plain main meaning is just that it's a building tool that allows things to be built straight and built well. It speaks of the fact that it's building something of God, building well. 
There's an invitation to you today. You know, maybe you've been despising the day of small things. All of those things that I listed just before, if you're truthful before God and before the mirror, then they're not there in your foundations. But you're invited today to change, to rejoin and rejoice. This is to go on an adventure with God. To go on an adventure with God and to enjoy the celebratory moments by doing the the foundational work. Is a rubbable. There was a great story in the news this week about a young guy called Travis Ludlow from Buckinghamshire. Did anybody read about this guy? And um, he um, has just completed this last week a circumnavigation of the globe. He flew around the world and he's the youngest person to ever do it. 18 years and 149 days old. And he flew around the world on his own. That's quite impressive, isn't it? I think when I was 18 years and 149 days, I couldn't probably be trusted to go to Liverpool and back on my own. I don't entirely know. Um, I had limitations. Um, but he's flown all the way around the world. And um, 25,000 miles, solo flight, 44 days. As he was coming into the final stages, he took little photos of the Eiffel Tower, snapping them over the edge of his plane, hopefully holding on with one hand. I don't know how you do it. He got to do a few loop-de-loops around the Statue of Liberty as well, apparently. Hopefully he told someone about it beforehand. That could have gone wrong. There's some tricky moments. The scariest moment, he says, was in Montana when a mountain wave, which is a rapid downdraft, pulled him down toward the mountainside. And he said, I had warnings going off everywhere with terrain alarms and then the stall alarm as I pulled up to correct the situation. I had pulled up, my nose point upwards, and I was still dropping. I dropped over 2,100 feet in five seconds. I don't know much about flying, but that doesn't sound very good to me. He had to bring the plane back up, change course away from the mountains, and then get back on track. Another nerve-wracking moment in Russia, in the Kamchatka province. He hit a, a bank of freezing rain. He wrote that time for the trip had been very tight, and he hit this freezing rain, and visibility was so much worse that no matter what he wanted to do, he had to return to his um, overnight location and wait it out. He said the place he went to in Kamchatka, way out there in the east of Russia, had less than 500 people in it, and definitely no hotels. But he said the people were lovely, and the hospitality was wonderful, Russian style. I don't know what Russian style means, but he seemed to think it was really rather good. Um, it's quite an achievement, isn't it? Quite an adventure to go on. Now, I enjoyed actually reading about his childhood and his preparation for the trip. His dad said and recounted that his son, he'd always been kind of destined for something like this, it seems. He kind of built it into himself. He achieved a black belt in kickboxing age 12. I don't think I want my son to be that good at kicking and punching at age 12. Um, maybe it helps to channel these things. Maybe it does. He completed a triathlon using a unicycle because obviously it wasn't hard enough beforehand when he was a teenager, but it was flying that captured his heart. He's accomplished already three aviation records before this one. And his father said, he came to me at the age of 10 with this crazy idea. He flew a glider on his 14th birthday, and it just escalated. There are no pilots in the family. Travis is the only one, and that's where his heart is. He logged 
more than 400 hours of flying time before he embarked upon his trip in April. 400 hours. No one else had done it before him. There was an adventure out there. And so he thought, I better get some hours under my belt. Putting in the miles, putting in the graft, being formed to be the person that you need to be. Sounds a bit like Moses spending 40 years in what's described as the backside of the desert. It's not even the good part. It's the bum of the desert. And there he is being formed. Sounds to me like a David also shepherding and being overlooked and disregarded. It sounds like the small beginnings of the work of Zerubbabel and sometimes the small beginnings of the work that Nehemiah committed himself to. It sounds perhaps like the upbringing of Jesus himself unremarkable family in an unremarkable town doing the unremarkable work of a carpenter or a builder. Maybe the work of a Paul saved miraculously and then prepared in obscurity in Arabia. Only a few people knowing him and connecting with him. You don't get to fly around the world without the hours of flying around fields in Buckinghamshire. One thing doesn't happen without the other. You know, I think there are huge and wondrous strengths of being a Pentecostal Christian. Hallelujah. But sometimes I think we become all about the suddenlies and all about the encounter moments, the mountaintops, the highs, without ever being people who want to put one foot in front of another and do the hard work of getting to those destinations. You know, it's God who does the elevating. But he invites us to actually humble ourselves before the Lord. And then he'll lift us up at just the right time. Are you doing the work? Are you putting in the 400 hours before you get on the adventure? Or are you just about the adventure? It seems to me that there's an ever-increasing emphasis and pressure within our world to, to make the most of yourself. I see young people growing up in the world, and, and the, the role models that are put out before them all the time seem to be people who have you know, made their first million by the time they're 20 or have gained their first million Instagram followers by the time they're 12. Or, and it feels like if you haven't kind of had this high moment before you're such and such an age, then you haven't really achieved something. If you haven't made it or got everything sorted out by the time you're 30, then somehow you've missed the boat. Well, there's somebody who's on the wrong side of 30. Well, I say the wrong side. It's probably, is it the right side? It's all right, older people. We outnumber the younger people, so we can be honest. On the other side of 30, 40, add in your own decade. You don't have to do it out loud. On the other side, that's not really what it's about. It's not about having a high point the earliest you possibly can. If that's your story or your journey, then so be it. What it's about is putting in those flying hours and then seeing how God will lead you on an adventure. You might be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 might be nine. Put in the flying hours and then go on an adventure. It's not flashy. It's not impressive. You know, people will misunderstand you. Maybe they'll be the people who despise, despise this day of small things, but if you don't, then they can rejoin and rejoice with you as you go along. I heard this little story about... Um, it's an Eastern Orthodox story. According to the tale, there's a devout abbot from a monastery and decided to take a prolonged spiritual retreat. It's in a small cabin located on a remote island in the middle of a lake. 
And he told his fellow monks that he wanted to spend his days in prayer so as to grow closer to God. He's doing his 400 flying hours. For six months, he remained on the island with no other person seeing him or hearing from him in all that time. Now, that sounds like bliss to some of you and torment to others. But there he was. But then one day, as two monks were standing near the shoreline soaking up some sunshine, they could see in the distance a figure moving towards them. It was the abbot walking on water and coming towards the shore. After the abbot passed by the two monks and continued on to the monastery, one of the monks turned to the other and said, all these months in prayer. And the abbot is still as stingy as ever. The ferry only costs 23 cents. I'll let you all catch up. If you do the small things, if you get stuck into the foundational stuff, look, you will be doing God's work. The adventure will come, whatever it looks like, however it comes, whenever it comes, in whatever way God sees fit. Someone's going to still misunderstand you. People will still despise the day of small things, but that's not going to be your business because you're going to be a Zerubbabel. And you're going to get stuck in, and you're going to realize the work that God has given you in your time. But not only that, but then a Nehemiah is going to come in on the back of what you've done, and he's going to do some more work. And then not only that, but all of the other generations are going to come in and come in and come in and come in. And do you know what happens when people start building upon people who started building upon people who started building? Do you know what happened to the story? At the end of it, Jesus came. Jesus came. And it's the exact same story today. God is looking for some Zerubbabel's and some Nehemiah's today. And he's asking you, are you going to be those kinds of people? He's inviting those kinds of people to come on an adventure with him. And I don't know whether you're going to see Jesus return to this earth with your own eyes or whether you're going to be, you know, caught up together, you know, from your, you know, earthly rest. Grave, yes, that is what it is. Uh, I don't know whether you're going to be dead or alive. I don't know. But if you faithfully do what God has called you to do, go on your part of the adventure and let the next generation, the next generation, the next generation go on their adventures. Let me promise you this. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. I'm going to say it again until someone gets excited about that. Jesus is coming again. Oh, come on. You can get a lot more excited than that. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus is coming again. And you know, this is the greatest and the grandest adventure that you've been invited into. And we're going to come and we're going to celebrate in praise as we draw to a close of our time together. Tonight, come and gather with me. Would you do that? Whether by Facebook or YouTube at 8 p.m. Most of you can do it. I know you can. Come on. I want to do some building, some small stuff with you. That's not much of an invitation, is it? <laughs> but it's the best invitation. Don't despise the day of small things. Come on, would you close your eyes? Maybe reflect upon your life. Look, I know that, that most of us, we can probably really quickly think about the small things God's placed in our hands. And either you've been doing them or not doing them. Or you were doing them and have stopped doing them. But the word of God to you today is rejoin and rejoice. Get stuck back into doing the small things. God's got an adventure for you.
He's got an adventure for you. And he's inviting you to do the small things. Small things upon small things become big things quicker than you might expect. Just in this quietness, in this moment, would you consider the small things God's placed in your hands? If you're willing, would you make a commitment before God today to pick up those stones and to start building again? Start building again. Is God calling you back to the devotion to his word? Is he calling you again to the place of prayer? Is he calling you again to prioritize the gathering of the saints? Is he calling you again to serve one another, to give? Is he calling you to repentance, confession? Is he calling you again to the sharing of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Grab your stones. Grab that plumb line. Or better yet, say, God, put a plumb line in my hand. I'm not always sure of how to build straight. Help me. There are Zerubbabel's here this morning. Nehemiah's. Mordecai's and Esther's. Jesus. Would you help us? Please help us to be faithful people, dear God. You know, we're a Pentecostal church, God. This is how you formed us. Oh, we, we really love the excitement. We're not afraid of a bit of fun and a bit of noise. And we believe in the kingdom of God breaking in to the here and now. Profound and powerful ways. That doesn't mean that we're not willing to get our hands dirty. Help us, God. Help us, God, in these things. We want to go on an adventure with you. Thank you, Jesus. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.